you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. You know, we're doing this thing called the Independent Operator Series, and we're going to be sharing the challenges of running restaurants. We're going to be speaking to operators across the country, sharing the triumphs, the successes, the failures, and best practices that you can apply to your own business. Today, I'm speaking with Mike, Anthony, and Lincoln from a concept, a hot concept called Auto Pizza, and they're truly setting the world on fire in two, arguably two, of the most competitive and biggest restaurant cities in America. We're going to talk shop, dig deep, and find out what makes their brand really tick. So stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss it. And thanks to my friends at Bento Box for bringing you this episode. Listen on. I'd like to thank my friends at Bento Box for bringing you this episode. You know, I've always believed that a great restaurant website brings the restaurant experience to life for the guest before they walk in the door. So let me tell you about Bento Box. They build beautiful, mobile-friendly, and SEO-optimized websites specifically for restaurants. Best thing is, Bento Box gives you control. You can update menus, promote events, share press, and so much more all yourself. Bento Box also gives you tools that attract more customers, grow your business, and drive revenue. You can sell gift cards, merchandise, event tickets, even book private events, all with affordable monthly and annual plans. So you got to check out Bento Box. Here's the link, getbento.com forward slash rockstars. Thanks again to Bento Box. And now on with the episode. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, deliver amazing guest service experiences. I'm really excited because there is a on-fire hot concept in Portland, Maine, which is a huge foodie town. Uh, and these two guys on my, on my show today, Mike and Anthony, are founders of Otto Pizza. So welcome to the show, Mike and Anthony. Glad to have you here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Well, thanks. We usually start off the show by asking you how you got into this business, and I'm sure you got great stories about that. So why don't you tell us um, how you got into restaurants? Yeah, you bet. Uh, pizza. Um, I grew up in Nantucket Island and uh, worked at a bike shop through high school. And when I graduated high school, I, rent, I bought 30 mopeds of my own and started a, a moped rental and did that for the summer uh, before going to college. Uh, midstream, I was earning enough money, I decided to uh, defer college for a year and um, uh, went backpacking through Europe. And through Europe, uh, my buddy and I landed in, in Rome. And when we got off the, the, the train there, uh, which was a huge train station, it's kind of felt like Nantucket where the boats come to the dock and uh, there were people just flooding off of the trains. And when they left the train station, they all went out the front door and there was a huge boulevard with pizza uh, being offered for miles ahead. Pizza on the left, pizza on the right, you couldn't avoid it. And there were just these stands and it was just amazing. And went, of course, had pizza three or four of the places to begin with and loved the product. Um, square pie, Sicilian style. They sold it by weight and before they heated it up, they drizzled it with, with you know, real olive oil. It was just an amazing product. And I was thinking that 
next to my moped place in Nantucket was a Chinese restaurant that was teetering, going out of business. Couldn't imagine them making another year. And I thought if I could get that spot, I'd like to do pizza in there, having know, knowing nothing about food except I like the pizza. So when I got back to Boston, I went into Eastern Baker Supply in Boston on Washington Street, walked in with some money in my, my pocket. I had saved uh, $35,000 from the moped rental thing and told them I wanted to open a pizza place. And they said, yeah, right this way. So uh, bought equipment, uh, loaded on a truck and drove it to the Cape and on the island and, um, and put that thing together. Really rocky in the beginning. Uh, my test market uh, on what pizza was 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 horrifying. Um, I asked all my high school friends if they liked a, a Portuguese bread dough uh, uh, on the uh, for the pie, and it was a it was a resounding success. All the kids loved it. All my classmates loved the pizza. I open up the next day, and uh, people were literally spitting it out in the trash. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is this? I had used a, a sweet Portuguese recipe. A, a sweet. Uh, a recipe from New Bedford and it was just the kids loved it because it was so sweet uh, but grown-ups you know were uh, spitting it out in the garbage so that was how I kind of got into the pizza business and I had that shop for seven summers and um, uh, you know after the first rocky bit uh, it actually turned into be super successful and so right off the bat, Anthony, uh, I'm hearing that you didn't try to necessarily duplicate the Sicilian formula or what you found to be so appealing about those places you tried in Rome. You tried to do your own dough recipe. Right. In retrospect, did it all go great or would you have gone a different route right from the start based on that experience? Oh, it was painful. It was yeah. super painful. Um, okay. for, the space itself was 122 square feet. It was a tiny little room with a low ceiling. The mm -hmm. ovens weren't vented. It was back in the early 80s. Uh, there, was a, there was a hood vent, but no, no yeah. fan pulling the heat out of the thing. It was an oven. And, yeah. uh, and by the second or third year, uh, it got to be extremely busy. And um, by, the, by the seventh year, what we did for volume in that little pizza shop uh, is about twice what we do on a good day in Harvard Square, um, which just trying to get my head around that is incredible because we didn't have nearly the systems or um, sophistication we have now uh, with, with what Mike and I have done. Yeah. I was just that's completely um, by the seat of our pants, but it, it worked out, you know, worked out really well. But a million lessons about what we did wrong, everything in the book, and then some. But uh, a three-month season, hit it hard. I'd pack up, I'd shut the ovens down, I'd go to school uh, in Waltham literally uh, close the shop on, on Labor Day, get on my motorcycle, go up to Bentley College and, and go to school, and, and then come back on Memorial Day and fire it up again. It was fantastic. Loved that it. That is, that's a great story. I yeah. wanna ask you how you met Mike, and I wanna hear Mike's story too, but is that part of your story, Mike, on how you met Anthony, or how does that come together? Yeah, um, when I, I, I don't know if you want me to start at the beginning. I, I, Up to you. I put a restaurant together, uh, yeah a while back in a town north of Boston, and that's where Anthony and I met. But okay. I had a completely different career prior to that. And um, I could start there if you'd like. Sure, yeah, I mean, what did you do before restaurants? Um, I was working in Alaska on fishing boats, and uh, I started in New Bedford, Mass. for a couple of years, and uh, went to the West Coast, got on a boat in Seattle, then up to Alaska, and I was up there for 10 years. And really enjoyed it. It was hard, dangerous work, but uh, but right. I got into it, and it was a lot of fun. Made some money. 
And um, the only thing I didn't like was the food on the boat. It was terrible. It was like, it was just a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, canned goods and meatloaf and uh, stuff that just wasn't prepared very well. And um, we were, but we were catching all this beautiful fish and crab and all kinds of stuff. And a lot of it just went right back overboard. So the, the cooks that were on the boat just weren't, weren't there to put out great food. It was just to fill your belly and go to bed and get some sleep and get back on deck. And uh, so I asked the, uh, the captain a couple of years before I finished my time there, if I could take on the cook's position. And I just, he, he agreed to it. And um, I just got into it and I really became interested in food and, and wine and the combination. And um, during one of my off seasons, I went to Boston and asked if I could um, ask for a position at a restaurant. And I was putting applications around town to, uh, to get a line uh, cook position. And I ended up getting a spot at the Franklin Cafe in the South End in Boston, a really busy place. And a uh, guy just threw me on the line. The owner at the time was cooking and I was right beside him and uh, learned a lot in a, in a very short amount of time under a lot of pressure. And I thought I had enough knowledge and a little bit of money to open my own little bistro with a bar. And I, the only place I could afford to do that uh, was in Haverhill, Mass, north of Boston by about 35 miles. Mm -hmm. So I got a great, a little old uh, Irish bar that I converted into a restaurant and um, just started cooking. And I knew nothing about the front of the house. I knew what I knew. I knew how to cook good food, but that was about it. So I got I got my butt kicked in there, and it was uh, it was a it was a it was a steep curve. I learned a lot in a short amount of time. I was there about six years, but uh, when I was building the place, converting it over, this guy showed up, knocked on the door, and he had a pizza in his hand, and uh, introduced himself and said, "Hey, uh, you know what are you trying to do here?" And I gave him my story, and I said, "I'm just I'm going to open a little uh, uh, little bistro, sort of fine dining." And Good full bar. full bar and, <laughs> and I uh, I knew right away that we had a lot in common and we uh, we just hit it off and we're eating the pizza and the pizza was pretty good and I said I've always been interested in in learning how to cook pizza and but doing it a little bit differently and like kind of uh, making it a little more seriously like making it uh, real food rather than just uh, junk food or something that people dismiss as junk food. And uh, so that's how that conversation kind of started. And uh, when we both sold our restaurants in, in Haverhill, we talked about working together. And it took a little while, but, uh, but we, we started that in Portland, Maine. So Mike was in Haverhill with his bistro. Yeah. Phenomenal. Uh, little, little gem inside of a crummy city. And I had rented a, I had rented a huge building and had a 10,000 uh, square foot nightclub and I'd inherited some Italian wood, uh, wood fired pizza ovens there. So naturally I did pie for our menu and in those ovens, you know, it's not just a pizza oven. We cook everything in those ovens. So, uh, I'd get some, uh, some Delmonico steaks going in there and, uh, carve those up and throw that on the pie, anything to kind of mix it up a bit. Cause Haver was a, it was a really a, a one note town as far as food was concerned until, until Mike kind of came and we tried to mix things up a little bit out of that pizza oven, but those ovens were gorgeous. And, um, I, I liked hanging out at Mike's place better than hanging out at my own. So we spent quite a bit of time together. 
while he was on the line, I, I tried to distract him. Uh, <laughs> and eventually, uh, I had sold my nightclub, and I, I got into restaurant brokering. And um, uh, Mike was, by that time, ready to get out of Haverhill. And we found a buyer for his thing. So he cashed out, had some money in his pocket, and then uh, wound up. We tried to do something in Boston together. It didn't quite work out. Real estate kind of, kind of mm-hmm. too, too aggressive there for us at the time. And uh, Mike wound up in Portland. And yeah, and uh, so we never, we never stopped the conversation. We would look for a while and um, couldn't find anything in Boston or Somerville or any of the other spots further out that we could afford. And um, so I just decided to come to Portland, Maine just for a change of pace. I was getting sick of the city and I was living here for a while. And I just took a walk one day from on Congress Street, which is main, the main avenue, and from the east end, from the west end to the east end and then back. And then I couldn't find one slice of pizza in the That's entire- a long walk, by the way. It's a bit of a walk, yeah, it was a couple miles. And uh, yeah. yeah, I spent the day doing it. Uh, I did find, there was one spot that had some like a convenience store that had some pizza. And I think there was one pizza, sh- pizza place down at the bottom end of, of Congress by St. John's. And, um, but nothing stood out. Nobody was really doing anything unique or, or anything at all, really. And then um, right in the middle of, of Congress at Forest Ave, there was a, a small space that was open uh, just had a for rent sign in it with a phone number scratched on it. So I called it and the guy was going to meet me there. And uh, he did in a, within an hour. And this old guy showed up and showed me the place. It was just this tiny box, a really small little space. Wasn't much to look at. The tour didn't last very long. And, uh, but I loved it. And I thought, <laughs> you want it or don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. It was yeah. just, you know, like a pay by the month kind of deal, really short rent. And Ant and I were talking about, you know, bigger rooms with bars and, you know, making our own, you know, grinding our own flour, all, all kinds of stuff. And, and this spot just made me think, like, maybe we should just try to do something really small to start out, see if we can even work together, because we haven't yet. It's all been just conversation. So I love the space. I like the idea of just going that route first. I'm like, let's just put together a little slice thing and see if we can actually make good pizza together because we haven't even done that yet either so uh so i called Ant, came up he looked at it i was like we can get into this thing for for pretty short money and um so that's how we decided to sign on to it and uh, and that's where it started but without much more planning than that it was just uh let's buy some cheese and some dough and uh let's work in here for a little while and see if we can put a good product together and it wasn't right out of the gate but uh, it was pretty quick. We, we, between the two of us, we had developed something that we both agreed was pretty unique. And you yeah. had wood-fired ovens right from the start? No, no. never. No, we, we got yeah. some old Blodgett ovens. Yeah. Uh, found okay. some like 30-year-old Blodgetts. Yeah. But, but this is 2009, Roger, and uh, yeah. things had slowed down. And uh, it was pretty evident in Portland, things that the economy had, had slowed down considerably. My car had been repoed like three weeks earlier. So I, had, I took time to borrow a car to get up here. But when Mike said there's two miles of, of, of Congress Street without pizza, I'm like, that's going to be the longest stretch in the continental United States yeah. without 20 pizza places. So we got up here and, 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 and walked around and ordered a, a couple of pies from local places, the places that people said was the best pizza going. And, you know, pretty much assumed right there, we, we could take a stab at this and, and probably, probably at least 
feed ourselves and hopefully some other folks. So, um, you know, it was, it, it felt right from the beginning. It was a, it was a tiny little space. I was, that felt normal to me. Uh, it was at the top of Forest Ave. Um, Portland was just beginning to kind of arrive with some food. It felt like there was some energy here. Yeah, it was you know? the uh, Congress Street was a different atmosphere back then. It was a, it was a neighborhood, but it was, it was, it still is pretty funky. But uh, it was an old port where everybody goes to. That's where all the tourists go to. And uh, so this was, this was a little funkier, a little grittier, and uh, we like that about it. So our, our first customers weren't the the folks coming in from you know the cities and and uh, to visit you know old port and all that. We were just getting the locals and. Uh, and they loved it and it was starting to create a bit of buzz uh, almost immediately and uh, we started to see a, a group build up in the front of the shop and each day it got a little stronger and we still didn't know what we had of what we were doing that was that was so unique we were just still kind of figuring that out as we went so we got a new dough recipe you didn't do the portuguese doughs no, no we stayed away from that i learned one thing that was it yeah. But our first day, we sold, I think we sold like 15 pizzas, you know, by the slice. We started with four different slicers to begin with. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we felt like we had hit pay dirt. Like that was so exciting that people would come in, try the pie and, and pay us for it. And then, uh, you know, they, they had some enthusiasm for it. They understood that we were doing something different. And, and that was just kind of infectious. And that, that took, you know, now it seemed, back then it felt like it took forever, but it really, it really happened pretty quickly. Within a month, people were dragging their own friends in. Like you know, you got to see what's going on here, and 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 then that just that really that just transformed the energy of the shop. I mean, Mike and I have the energy. We were the only ones in there for a long time working really, and um, uh, the mashed potato slicer. Like we 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 hammered that thing out. We had different ideas of how to actually put potato on a pizza. Uh, the mashed potato won for all the reasons it should have but try to convey that to somebody that's only had a, a pepperoni slice in their life. It took a little bit of a sales job. And, <laughs> and uh, that's where we came back with the, with our money back guarantee. Like if you don't like it, at least just try it. If you don't like it, we'll give you the, the pepperoni slice, but it's worth trying. And, um, and, and that got people engaged to the, to what we're doing. That's really interesting. And I definitely want to get into the brand building and the unique pizzas in a minute, but let's talk about where the name come from and you know, how you started to build that brand from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, you know, building the brand, uh, that, that's nothing that came into the conversation for Mike and I for the first <laughs> couple of years. We were, we were trying to figure out how to get this landlord his 700 bucks rent, you know, <laughs> literally. Uh, I had some equipment in my garage and, and we begged and borrowed and put the thing together. But uh, the brand, uh, I would say, really kind of came together organically. And then we started to hire people that knew the language and, and more about uh, what that actually meant. But uh, the name was... Um, this, our story is we each had some ridiculously bad names, and but we did have a, a graphic designer who uh, lived lived where I live in Newburyport, and he was kind of a New York guy. And we were teasing back ideas of well, it's got to be something Italian because it's really going to be authentically Italian pie. We're going to cook it on the deck, and um, it's going to be real food. And and uh, so he kind of pushed us to think about words in Italian that may have some meaning, and the number eight in Italian. Uh, came to mind because a pizza has eight slices and right, right. Uh, and he grabbed that and he, he loved the symmetry of it the palindrome was great and he came up with some logos and it just 
like we saw the first rendition of what he had come up with, the, the, the logo that we live with now, and uh, slam dunk for both of us. Like, that is absolutely it. And um, when we peeled that logo uh, of vinyl under our window for the signage, Mark was here, the designer, and he said, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like you guys have 10 shops when you have one. And it did. It had that kind of weight to it. And it, it was just fantastic. I, I credit him a lot with kind of giving our brand, uh, our, our little pizza shop, some real heft when, when really, you know, we, did, we hadn't earned that yet. But it gave us a good head start. So did you actually open before you had the logo and the name and all that sort of thing? No, you... no. No, we had that, no, we had the yeah. name and um, yeah. Yeah, we, had, we had some designs going and I don't know if we had the, anything on the glass we didn't, actually. If, if, you look at the, if you look at a photo from the first day we opened, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a red sandwich board and it has five paper plates taped to it with, mm -hmm. with pizza scribble, you know, P-I-Z-Z-A on the oh, plate. That was our signage day one. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, Excellent. Yeah, we, we scratched it together. <laughs> That's rudimentary, but you know, it, it, it did definitely come together. So did you know right from the start you were going to offer unusual specialty pizzas? We did. You yeah, did. We, that was all part of the shtick, yeah. right? You weren't going to be just ordinary pizza. No, no. no. And part of it uh, uh, evolved um, with, we were, I was getting bored uh, not bored, but I was I was I was starting to miss cooking, like being on a line, and yeah. so and I was in the shop. We were both in the shops for long, long days into the night, and uh, so we couldn't leave. So we would bring in a bunch of food to cook in the pizza oven that wasn't for the guests. So we're roasting chickens and doing uh, braising lamb shanks and and all this stuff, and I'd bring in some wine, and you know during a slow period we we would have dinner in there. And there would be would cook a lot, and there would always be leftovers. So we started to uh, put some of those meals onto a pizza just to try it out. And we started uh, putting together some really tasty and, and unique combinations uh, based on some of those dinners. And uh, and then people would wander in, and we just yeah. offer, off, hey, join us. And we'd only have enough for one or two pies, and we'd, we'd make them, put them out. And ask people to try them. They would at first just, you know, almost offended. Like that's that's not pizza. You can't do that. <laughs> like you can do any. There's no rules. You can do anything you want on a pizza. And right. So that so we started doing that and chopping fresh herb to go on it afterwards, and um, you know, braising liquids and re reduce those. And so we're putting out some really flavorful pizzas that people have never tried before. And that started to create some more buzz and um, and we started to get more foodies in to check it out and they're bringing their foodie friends and and uh, soon after it was there was this buzz going in the in the room which was tiny but sometimes it'd be be 15 20 people jammed around this counter and nobody would leave everybody they would want to see what was coming up next like what's the next pizza coming up what are you working on back there and uh, it was really fun. It was a lot of excitement. We got to meet a lot of locals and uh, a lot of committed regulars right out of the gate. Really supported us like yeah. daily. Like we'd, we'd watch somebody slide in for a, a, a late breakfast slice, come back for a late lunch, come back after they finish a shift, you know, bartending <laughs> somewhere. We get them three times a day because we'd always, you know, we try to mix up the, spe the, the, the special pies that uh, they were always curious about what the hell are they going to put on this thing this time. So it, it, it had its own energy. It really, it was fantastic. 
It's absolutely true, folks. The pizzas are fantastic. It's one of my kids' favorites, and we we uh, live in Yarmouth here, so we're in the Yarmouth store okay. often. But anyway, let's. Why don't you tell the audience uh, some of these specialty pizzas and some of these unique combinations? Do you mind doing that? Sure, sure. I know the mashed potato pizza is one of our favorites, but what else you got? Uh, well, we you know we had a lot of R and D time when we start when we started going. You have to imagine that Congress Street like Mike said, wasn't, wasn't what it is today. It was thin. We had a lot of time on our hands. Um, I think that, um, you know, we wanted to, we, we needed a mushroom pie and it wasn't, you know, I, I knew from when I had my shop that when you put a, a, a fresh produce mushroom on a, on a pizza, it just bleeds out so much moisture. It kind of, it basically ruins that pizza, the integrity. So Mike said, well, let's saute them first and we the moisture out. We'll do it with butter. We'll season those mushrooms, like really make it something special. And, um, and, and immediately, you know, somebody takes a bite into that, they know they've got something different going on. And um, so we just, we just kind of rolled with what, you know, our limited market research, let's do this, let's, let's figure out a different way to do, we're, not, we're certainly not gonna open a can of mushrooms, which 90% of the places do. Um, the fresh mushroom thing kills the integrity of a pie. So let's figure out what the problem is and, and work backwards. And I think we, you know, work through a lot of things like that. Like the mashed potato pie, um, that has, you know, that has, honest to goodness, real salted butter in it. It has real cream in it, and it's seasoned well. It's probably seasoned a little more heavily than what it may say in some recipe book, but, man, it tastes good. It's, it's a real deal. And, um, and how you mash those potatoes and, and when you actually fluff them and put them on that pie, it all, it all matters. So when we were down there, you know, every, every pizza was like, a, like a, a, a child. I mean, it was really it was really thought of thoroughly and when we put it out it was it was spectacular i won't ask the trade secrets but that is a good story for sure i'm also hearing that word of mouth was the best and most effective form of advertising for you did you do any the only, it's the only advertising we did oh you do yeah that's all we needed to do and still to this day yep. um we don't we spend almost nothing on print and media uh, we do do a lot of things in the community and cause marketing is kind of the way we roll but very, very little reliance on any kind of formal advertising marketing. That's a key learning that I preach as well. You know, I was, I, I have a similar story to yours, but nonetheless, it really is all about building a brand and getting the buzz in the marketplace and not throwing money out the window on traditional advertising. It's just a shotgun approach that you really can't track the ROI from it. Right. You know, so I think that's fantastic. So tell me about the growth. I mean, you guys grew pretty quickly and now you've got multiple locations. How many, how many stores are there now? 160, no, uh, we have 13. <laughs> Today is Wednesday, right? Yeah, 13. Uh, no, but, uh, lucky but number. Going back, going back, rolling back just for a moment to rewind, um, rather than throwing that money out the window into, into the advertising, mm -hmm. you know, we, we were, we just, we put it into what we were putting out across the counter. We put that energy and any money we had and, 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 and uh, thought behind the actual product that we were serving. I think when people open up, you know, if they have a marketing line item for budget and whatnot, you know, they're going to budget throwing money to radio advertising. Um, they've kind of already lost the game a little bit because they're distracted. But I think what, one of the keys is we were in that shop. We were living and dying by this pie every slice every day. And, uh, and that's what gave us traction initially. Yeah, but it, it had to be super motivating when your customers absolutely loved what you were doing and you kept seeing them over and over totally. again. You know? totally. Okay. It, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't work. It was a blast. Yeah. But it, yeah. But I think uh, 
uh, <laughs> I think that uh, the growth we hadn't we hadn't even discussed opening a second unit, but the space next to us, um, to our you know standing in the shop to our left, uh, became available. Our landlord, of course, said, "You guys want it? Yeah, we'll take it." And um, and we sort of punched a hole through the wall and opened up uh, Enzo, which is a little wine bar. Mike had been lugging around a, a bar top from the Rat Sculler in in Kenmore Square for years. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that the chance, uh, name for Enzo Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're not Ferrari, we're Enzo from uh, the Godfather, right? Yeah, the Enzo the Godfather. Those Ferrari fans. We were throwing around for the original store. Nice. So we already paid for some design work on that. So that's how that wound up on that window. Uh, and then we, we opened up uh, on Congress Street a mile away from us. Uh, that space became available and we opened up there about uh, a year and a half after we opened up the original auto. Is that the East End location you're talking about? Yeah, yes, correct. The yeah. yeah, yeah. Very cool. And then and the, the big departure was moving into Boston, Roger. Like uh, I got a phone call from somebody. I'd been a commercial broker and I got a phone call regarding the Harvard Square location. And you know, we open up paying seven hundred dollars a month rent. The Harvard Square location was fourteen thousand dollars a month rent. Everybody, everybody who even had a hint of our name said, "That's crazy. That's ins insane. Why would you do that?" Mike and I are both familiar with the square. We're both like, "If we can get that space, we're there." And so we went pretty hard to 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 get that and make that a uh, our first mass location. And that was uh, in two thousand eleven. And that, that store, that unit does very well. That's, that's amazing because, yeah, I mean, I got the numbers in my head and how much pizza you have to sell to cover just that rent alone. Have you ever, went, have you ever been in that space? You know, where is the space exactly? I mean, the square has multiple blocks yeah. and that sort of thing. So if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you walked out of the Harvard Coop, which is- Yeah, the I know where the Coop is, yep. Take a left and you, you, before you hit Church Street, you walk, you walk from the coop about a hundred feet and we are on the left-hand side, right in that, in that first bank of buildings. Right on Mass Ave. Oh, I yeah. used to hang out in a Mexican place on the corner that was pretty popular. The border. Border still Cafe. There. Thank border you. Cafe, yeah. Still there? Yeah. Still there. They're still opening number 10 cans. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think they use them as decorations. I'm, we used to drink margaritas there pretty powerfully. Yeah. People, people still do. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but, but our space is, uh, we have about 180 square feet on the, on the street level and then 600 feet below us to support it. Uh, that's a very, it's a very challenging space. It's a lot of revenue to generate out of that, that square footage. And um, um, <coughs> like most of our spaces have been challenging. Nothing, we don't typically go into a rectangular box that's, uh, you know, hooded and vented and everything else. It, it takes some configuration. The square is one of the trickiest ones. Very tricky. Our landlord basically took our deposit check and said, "You know, I'll see you in a couple of months when you when you fold the tent. There's no <laughs> way you can support yourself selling pizza." Uh, so, still there. Happy to say, still there happily. Fantastic. Did you have any issues with venting and um, you know getting rid of the exhaust from the ovens and stuff? Still do. Yeah. That's <laughs> always a challenge, isn't it? Especially when you go into a space and you got to fit it out because it's never been a restaurant before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Harvard Square one was very challenging. It's a triangular space. Uh -huh. It has three different floor heights. Uh, slanted floor. Slanted, and we had to get four ovens into this tiny little triangular Cavity. space. Yeah, it's just yeah. really difficult. And we, you know, we spent hours in there and days 
with blue tape on the floor trying to figure out like how we were going to get a yeah. counter and coolers and ovens and vented and and do all that but uh but we figured it out and it actually has a really great flow to it uh better than a lot of our other shops that we had the luxury of more funding for and all of that and uh we just love the way that it came out it's uh it is funky it's tight you open the door and you're right at the counter you're, you're yeah. just about walking into it how many square foot is that location 188 okay it's yeah. tiny. Yeah, you put four ovens in there, you're down to, you, you chiseled down by a third. The two fat guys, you don't have, you don't have much room left. <laughs> the challenges of getting the flow in restaurants. Um, yeah. You know, I, I started 25 years ago and I had wood-fired pizzerias and uh, I, I started small. I was inspired by Italy as well. You know, I was living in Milan in the summer of 1988. And just like your story, Anthony, pizza on every corner, right? Yeah. And I never thought I'd be in the pizza business until I ended up at Sunday River 25 years ago, saw an opportunity and opened my first wood-fired pizzeria. But when wow. I ended up expanding, uh, we had a steakhouse and we were doing sushi and we, were do we had a full cooking line. But I wanted to have the oven because it was such a showpiece, like you mentioned, a beautiful oven. I wanted it right in the middle of the dining room floor. So suddenly the coordination between people ordering different items off the line, off the pizza line, and the communication between and the flow and all that. And right. it was an 8,000 square foot restaurant with 350 seats. And it was like a three ring circus all the time. I've been there. That, th that thing is still a party. I was, there, uh, I was there a couple months ago. Yeah, it's, it's definitely but, so uh, what are some of the, uh, the growing pains other than the locations and, you know, some of those challenges you've had, what are the growing pains, you know, moving from location to location? How quickly did you open, say, the third and the fourth stores after the second one opened up? All this kind of quickly? stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Too quickly, maybe the answer there. Yeah. We got ahead. Of, we definitely got ahead of ourselves and got into, got into some trouble for, uh, for doing that. I mean, we did not have the operational manuals in place and a lot of the support. Today, we have a phenomenal office, uh, as good as it's, as it's been, uh, that supports a lot of the activity. But back then, it was still Mike and I to a large degree and yeah. uh, not pretty, <laughs> not always pretty. Yeah. We tried to make all the mistakes early on. And, uh, <laughs> and then double down on them. <laughs> yeah, we, opened, we went fast, hard in the beginning. So obviously staff are the foundation of any business. So is there any special formula that you have? I mean, everyone's talking about this labor shortage and how hard it is to find and keep and train and motivate a staff and not lose them a couple months later and have to you know, start the process again. But you guys have 13 locations and you've got, you can't be obviously in every store all the time. So you got good management in place and then they have a training system to bring in staff. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, the, the staff is everything. The, the, your team is, is, is what keeps it alive and, and creates other opportunities. And we, we, haven't, we don't have a perfect record for picking all those people, but um, these days we, we, uh, we just have a fantastic team that helps us out with finding the right talent. And um, it, 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 it is essential. You can't just put an ad out there. I mean, you have to bring the energy into these shops that they get to work on that culture all the time. And uh, it's really important. You gotta, you gotta care about it and love it and convey that and, and, um, and bring them all in as, as uh, part of it. And uh, without that, I don't think you're gonna, you're not gonna do well. 
So is Lincoln still on the call? I mean, he's your yeah. human resources professional. I, I'd love to hear his perspective on any special training, how you onboard people and what the magic formula is to, you know, to really motivate and develop your team, recognize and reward them and just keep them as opposed to, you know, turning and burning them. Yeah. One of the, I'll, I'll go in for a sec before Lincoln. Uh, okay. One thing that we, that we got across early on, right from the first hire, was um, how particular we are about building the pie and, and what goes into it and the placement of everything and how close to the edge of the crust, the color of the crust, the burn on the bottom, the, the amount of cornmeal that goes on the paddle, everything was, was important and essential to the outcome. And we, we just drove that into everybody's head that you, you can't get sloppy with, you can't, you can't vary, you can't, can't create your own. It's like, you know, yeah. it's important that you stick to the, uh, be loyal to the product and the brand. And, and, um, and we did a good job in the beginning and we still do of getting across, you know, how important that that is to stick to those, those, um, those recipes and those rules as far as the product goes. It's, you did pizza yourself, Roger. It's probably the, probably the thing that people most quickly decide to, interpret and do their own way. I mean, they'll, they'll take liberties with pizza, uh, unlike other food, but sure. um, uh, we, 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 we um, you know, we've, we've been lucky. And one of the, one of the fortunate things early on was I had a friend who had uh, attended um, a Zingerman sem seminar, some seminar in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we signed up for that uh, vision and mission seminar uh, seven or eight years ago and went out to it with a couple of our staff. And, and we really saw like, I mean, it's almost drinking the Kool-Aid out there. They had 600 staff member under uh, nine or 10 different concepts. And everybody we bumped into uh, seemed to be just loving what they do. And we came back from that seeing that it can be done. Uh, most restaurants by far don't, uh, don't apply the logic that, that they do. Um, but we try to take what we could from what they've been successful at and imbue in our staff an idea that they that there's inclusion. Uh, they're important. I mean, when we would drill them on this is actually how you how you dollop on the sauce. It's it's not it's not nine or eleven. It's ten, and it's always ten. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what they learned from that is that we really take what we do seriously, and and those are the people we most wanted. And the other ones can tend to drift off. The ones who weren't paying attention or or weren't interested in being part of that kind of drift off, but hopefully you retain the ones who understand and want to be uh, with a group who's so passionate about what they're doing. And that's a big part of it. Yeah, you're talking about company culture now, which is criti a critical part of right. your brand. So having everyone understand what that mission is and what Otto stands for and the, you know, the importance of having every pizza be consistent from store to store. Because let's face it, you, you eat a pie in Portland and then suddenly you're in Harvard Square and you see Otto Pizza. You expect it to be the same. You, right. know? you don't need deviation. You want it to be just as great as the last time you had it. And, Quality right. control comes into play now, you know, and that's all those incredibly important. Yep. And, and that's, uh, that's an ongoing task that we're, that's never, that's never like that. Ah, we're all set. That's a, <laughs> that's an every day, every morning we're on it and every day we're talking about it and uh, always trying to improve uh, our processes. It's essential. When you, when you roll out a new pizza, uh, you know, idea, you know, one of these really unique pies that we were talking about, do you roll them all out at the same time or do you test it for a while in one store before you take it to the next one? 
do the different stores come up with different <laughs> ideas or do you guys invent them all? Yeah, no, we, we, we have a pretty high level of confidence now of how yeah. it'll be interpreted and, and received and, and we roll it out all in one, but there's a lot behind it. it it's, it's, you know, five or six people sitting down at a table for a couple hours, uh, mm-hmm. splashing ideas across uh, one another and, and drilling it down and finally uh, reducing that down to uh, a recipe that we think will work. And then it's actually going out, putting it together and it does a whole process to it. But by the time it, it comes out of the oven, we've all had it we're pretty confident the thing will fly. With that said, you know, some do better than others always. Um, last month's special was, was like two and a half times as popular as the previous month's special. So um, yeah, do we know everything? Yeah, but not really. <laughs> no, we're totally learning on the fly here. Don't forget even Ben and Jerry's had a number of duds along the way, right? Right, right yeah. but somehow they parlayed those into successes. <laughs> we haven't figured that out yet. That's uh, coming, you know, that, that's still coming. Do you want yeah. to, uh, Lincoln, uh, you're on board if you want to jump on? Yeah, well, the question was about staffing, I think, earlier, Roger. Yeah, I, I wanted to know, you know, what the process is with onboarding and training and recognition and rewards so that you can retain people and instill in them what that company culture is all about and just really get them behind the brands that be, they become brand ambassadors for Otto. That is so incredibly important to brand building the staff. Well, um, the onboarding has been um, also a work in progress over the years. Now, I'm, I'm currently not the HR person. I'm operating the restaurant that Mike and Anthony started with right on um, Congress and Flores. The original. Um, the original. The original restaurant. Um, but getting back to this, the staffing prior to the onboarding, I, I too am a restaurant lifer. I've been, I started in the 80s, you know, busboy, barback, learned how to bartend, bartending my way through college started managing you know, bars and nightclubs and eventually uh, managed a few, was the GM of several uh, corporate and independent places. And I was lucky, I got into HR in 2007, uh, kind, of by, kind of by dumb luck, but I've been fortunate, especially with Mike and Anthony when they brought me on board, that they kind of gave me a lot of free reign to get out there in the units and talk to all the, all the current staff, all the really good core people, the young managers that they needed um, to get some confidence underneath them. And since every auto is different and in a different um, location, the needs are pretty different. Um, they're all the same in one way, but the, the needs can be pretty different as well. I mean, the, the staff here on Congress Street in Portland, Maine is quite different than the staff we have by the main mall or quite different than the staff we have in Newburyport. So I think that each GM um, probably does an excellent job at finding out exactly what it is that they need what fits their dynamic. And when that walks in the door, you grab onto it and you, you try to get them hired as fast as possible. I know for me, I like a lot of diversity. So anytime uh, we, we all have just tons of millennials and I'm not disparaging them, but it's fun to throw in maybe somebody older or somebody even, um, I hired somebody who was, um, was Muslim two weeks ago and they, they all rallied around and were interested in his culture and what country he was from. And so that type of diversity in the downtime becomes um, just a great thing to talk about while you're talking about pizza, getting that right. Uh, so I, I think looking for diversity is always a key. Definitely. That's great. Is there any special recognition or rewards programs for outstanding performance going above and beyond that sort of thing? Like how do you, how do you um, motivate people and then promote people into different positions? Cause obviously in a, in a brand like Otto, you love to promote from within, don't you? 
Yes, yep. absolutely. We, we have, yeah. In fact, um, in fact, we do a lot better when we do promote them with them because then you have the the people who are time tested that you know they'll be with you and they understand the company and they understand everything. Instead of bringing, we we have also had some success with bringing people in from the outside, but I think it's probably a little less than it is from promoting from within. And um, there's always there's always rewards and recognition to be had within the company, and and the guys are great about okaying anything that we want to do. Uh, right now, they gave us just a, a slew of gift cards to give out, just catching people doing things right, uh, which is really nice. So there are always ideas being spun out there for how we can make it better. Excellent. Yeah, I mean that's all part of the magic formula for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is the key to everything. You know, it, it, it's the distinguishing factor. Uh, um, earlier, I think it was you, Anthony, that mentioned, well, you, you have a lot of bar and nightclub experience as well uh, among the team, but have you I ever thought about turning, you know, lawsuits too. <laughs> bringing in, you know, the, the whole alcohol program? Very limited. I think Mike and I, uh, the conversation after let's do pizza was uh, fuck alcohol. We just, we just did, we didn't want to get back in the bar business at all. Uh, so now we have kind of a, a curated uh, you know, alcoholic program, heavy sure. on wine, some good craft beers, and a little bit of cocktails, but uh, we're deliberately not a bar and don't have that bar scene. There's a concept uh, in California called Pitfire Pizza that um, eight or nine units, very, very strong. Unit sales are unbelievable. Um, they're about 60% alcohol. You know, I look at them and look at their P&L, and that's kind of attractive, but yeah. Man, what comes with it? You know, if you've been in it, you know what it is. Oh, we yeah. Don't want it. Taking me back to the olden days of bar fights and all <laughs> that stuff that yeah. comes with it. Yeah. Okay. Exciting times. I yeah. get it. I get but it. But no, we, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a muted part of the concept. But it's, the craft beer is absolutely part of what we do. Mm -hmm. um, I think we embraced that uh, kind of earlier on. And, and, and that's a, um, yeah, it's part of, the, part of the brand now. Uh, people are interested in the beer and the beer program and what we're doing. That's part of it. Let's talk about cost controls and maximizing profits. Um, you obviously have everything costed right down to everything that goes on the pies. Is your, are you taking regular inventory? I mean, are your food costs consistent from location to location, all that sort of thing? Yeah, very much so. We, uh, we put a lot of energy into that. We, our operations team is uh, really dialed into all the stores and and the management in each one, and we we hold PL classes for for GMs and and anybody else that wants to sit down and and stare at the screen and and learn about the numbers. And um, they do a fantastic job of getting it across and, and getting people interested in, in that part of the business. And um, it's really gone a long way over the years, and it's it's a fine tuned thing right now. Uh, some Anthony mentioned Zingerman's out in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and that's a big part of what they do. They they include the all of their staffs in each concept in the uh, in the profit and uh, the, you know, open book open book open book policy and get everybody engaged and excited about making a profit and learning how the business runs. And we're um, we're getting better at it all the time, and it's uh, we've come a long way, and it's it's uh, it's going really well. 
Yeah, that's a key learning right there. I mean, that's something that I totally supported years ago as well. And just teaching people and training your staff to think and act like owners and treat everything as if you had to pay for it and take a real vested interest and notice, you know, put your customer shoes on and notice, see what the guest sees before they see it. I mean, all this stuff is really powerful training for staff. And it sounds like you're doing all that. So on 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 the cost side, you know, we, we, we really run the business like a business and we've been doing inventories for almost ever weekly inventories and um and the p if you if you sit in the p l classes uh, you bump into some of the gms we have uh one in particular said he worked for a pizza chain for for five years before us he learned more in the first two weeks working for us than he had with the five years um mm-hmm. we have some really top talent who can teach and train to this um the COO is, is, is really a standout, uh, Sean Ryan, uh, trained with Back Bay Restaurant Group in Boston, uh, Johnston Wales before then. He's just got the pedigree, but he, more importantly, he's got the ability to communicate and, uh, and educate in a way that is inviting to people. And um, again, that gets back to the culture, the, the inclusion. They want to, you know, we want to explain the why behind um, everything and then, the, and then the how it's done. And, and that resonates with our staff. But the weekly inventories, the cost controls is funny that we run a higher uh, cost of goods sold in, in Maine or traditionally have been in Maine than in Mass, unit to unit. And we, we've been trying to chase that. It's, it's basis points, but um, it's all money. Um, and um, so we, we, we have things that we are always working on and trying to, trying to figure out why that, why that discrepancy exists. Um, and we're getting close to understanding it, but it evaded us for for a couple of years, like just trying to figure out we buy exactly the same product mix north and south. Uh, why the discrepancy? Now we, we finally, you know, after peeling back enough layers of the onion, we've figured out why. And it's it's not theft. It's not it's not anything uh, kind of in the obvious uh, uh, front. But it's it's it, it's we have a big organization, you know, 13 units. Uh, we have almost 500 people, I think 440 people right now. It's a lot of people counting the same cans of sauce and um, you know, it gets down to the basics. You, you figure out that maybe people using their fingers isn't good enough anymore. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, even when you have one single location with multiple employees, portion controls become incredibly important, you know, and people with different size hands putting cheese on a pizza could be twice as much with a big guy versus the little, you know, the petite little girl, <laughs> you know, whatever. I mean, we ran yeah. into all of this and, and consistency again, plays a part there. Do you use uh, the same suppliers? Are you using broadline suppliers? We do. Yep. And it's, we actually use uh, independent, one of the, one of the really last remaining independents uh, based out of Lawrence mass uh, colony mm-hmm. foods, a um, family owned business, you know, generational, um, they've treated us really well and, and, and we're happy to support them. Uh, getting back to the cost control, the, the first year in, in Nantucket, he asked me any mistakes, all of them, but, um, but people were just, you know, freehanding cheese when I first opened. Yeah, right. And, uh, my salesman midsummer said, you know, he'd take me out for dinner a couple times a summer. And he said, you know, it's going to cost me a fortune to tell you this, but most pizza shops, you may want to think about portion controlling your cheese because, you know, A, B, and C. And I put myself through Bentley College that first year with, with using a portion control cup. So I learned that one early on. Yeah, we use a cup for sure because, let's face it, that's the highest volume item you're, you're putting out there pretty Most much. Most thing, yeah. So, yeah, uh, um, yeah we use grande. You can't, you can't spend more money for cheese than grande, so it's pretty precious. 
So you're paying the same prices for your, for your, um, for your goods for all the stores because it's the same supplier. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was something else. Got it. Yeah. Are you using much technology in your business beyond just point of sale systems? Do you use it? I mean, there's so much software now in the restaurant business that does just about everything or so it claims to do just about anything. You yeah. going down that road at all? On the unit level, um, not too much beyond the, on the internal side, beyond the POS, mm-hmm. um, but on the, on the, on the office side, I, we, we have a, a ton of different digital subscriptions that, that it takes to run this whole thing. Yeah. Um, um, you know, mobile ordering apps. Uh, we have, we, I think we've had that a couple of years, Eric. Mobile ordering? Yeah. A couple of years anyway. Um, uh, but those things are all driving, you know, business in the door on the, on the actual, you know, operations level, we met somebody that, uh, and we actually um, uh, subscribe to a technology that um, that takes every phone call coming in and puts it up on a huge screen and, and you can kind of track and see how those phone calls are handled. Visually, you can see how long the phone's been ringing, how long the person on line three's been holding. It's a lot of technology boiled down into, into one piece of software. Uh, Domino's uses it. We we use it in one location. Mm-hmm. The jury's kind of out on that. Uh, on that one location, we put it in the busiest location we have in Boston. And um, uh, you know, the tech it, it's it's so much technology. Staff almost tend to avoid some of the 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 main selling points and salient points of why we actually installed it. So. You know, if you take the basic laws of treating people well and smiling at them and thanking them for coming in, I think that'll trump all the technology, really. And and that's a that's a that's a day in day out thing about that somebody you know in Lincoln's shoes right now GMing that unit. Um, that really requires, uh, and I think should get the most focus. You know, people start to fall in technology; it's kind of a crutch. Um, I think maybe maybe we're old school like that. I don't know. But um, the personal touch, the human element will never replace, you know, yeah, technology will never replace the human element and that and that personal feeling that people get with that interaction with the staff. Totally right. right. One more thing in technology, we do, uh, we employ a a secret shopper, a secret shoppers service Uh uh, that we've customized per unit because they're really we have five or six different models. And, um, and although that's not strict technology, technology is baked into it, and it's been actually really helpful at being able to give the GM an objective uh, scorecard on how that particular customer was 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 all the way greeted, and then all the way down to what the pie looked like. Um, and there's some technol- technological components in that that actually uh, they get baked into it and, and work um, to that end, but. I think we're, like I said, I think we're more old school, like just trying to take care of that customer face to face. Keep the bathrooms clean. You know? <laughs> all, all yeah, that yeah, the basics. That, that one's kind of important, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's what the customer is looking for. Right? Yeah. yeah, I've heard clean bathrooms are important in running restaurants. Yeah, I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You must have other systems as well. I mean, it sounds like the whole operation's pretty dialed. You got the key people in place. Um, you're, you're definitely watching your cost controls and you got everything dialed. You're, you're doing a little bit of open book management and teaching people about how to make money in this business. I mean, that's all great. Any other systems that we're missing? What else do you do? Um, else we can? Well, we try to um, uh, give some, some uh, I guess, 
ownership ability to to this to all of our our staff and um if there's a situation that that needs to be resolved we, we want to empower them uh to make a decision on the spot if uh yeah if there's a customer that's not happy um make a decision if it's if it's you know giving them a gift card on the spot don't worry about the the 20 50 bucks whatever it's going to take you know, we give them an allowance to um, to solve some of these problems if that's the sort of thing that can put the fire out. But we we empower them to make decisions on their own, and um, and it and it works really well, and it um, it gives them a chance to be a part of the whole operation, and and um, most of the time it's it, it it works, and they they get a sense for for how simple it can be, really, rather than just run to the GM or throw their hands up and say, I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I love that word empowerment and giving autonomy to people. It just gives them more of a vested interest in what you're doing. And the best part is the customer is not inconvenienced where they have to bring something to the staff person's attention. And then yeah. they've got to wait for that person to go get the manager to make the decision. I mean, that's, that's horrible. Yeah, but you've already lost. Operate that way. So I applaud you for this. Right. Yeah. It should be. So if you, if you had been in the room where we, uh, we have a, something called the Way Forward program, that's yeah. really addressing the company culture part, but we were, Mike and I were present in one of them uh, a couple, a month ago where the, uh, where the folks that put the program together announced, you know, you guys have up to like a hundred bucks to solve a problem. You have that control. You don't have to find me. You don't have to call me. You don't have to uh, email, just solve the problem. And the expression on, on our staff's faces uh, was just one of wonderment and bewilderment. Like, you mean we, we, we can make the decision. Uh, it was, it, it was certainly novel to them. Uh, but it's, um, it is a, it's a really powerful tool. As long as they don't say, Hey, I'm sorry for the, uh, you know, for the problem here, uh, bring in a hundred of your best friends and have pizza. On us. <laughs> they've actually, uh, they've actually not been abusing you at all. Yeah. Uh, any real, any real, uh, real examples you can bring to the table? Well, I think there's still a hesitation that they feel that they can, they can really do it. Uh -huh. you know, they, they've been given that word. Yeah. Can I really do it? Yes, yeah. you can really do it. Gosh. But it's, it's funny because of, I think to your point initially, they, they thought, well, this could run wild on us, but it hasn't at all. Yeah. And in fact, they still wouldn't convenient. They still come in my unit. They still come talk to me about what they uh -huh. can do. Mm -hmm. So it's there, but they still want a little safety net underneath them to, uh -huh. be able to do it. Yeah, you gotta you gotta break pop the cherry there. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Don't be overly cautious, but use good judgment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're not afraid of it being abused. And have you heard of Zingerman's that we referenced? No, I haven't, but I'm gonna look it up because I'm intrigued by that. It's, it's phenomenal. It really is amazing. Yeah. It sounds like Zen, right? It is. Yeah. And you don't you can't really believe it until you see it. You can wow. hear us talk about it, but yeah. until you see the magic, you'll you'll be you'll be dubious. It's um they started almost 40 years ago with a little deli called Zingerman's. Mm -hmm. uh, that deli is the highest grossing deli per square foot in the, in the United States of America. It's uh, phenomenally successful. But it's moved on to other concepts as well, you said, right? There's like- oh, Yeah, but they will not break the barrier of Ann Arbor, Michigan. They, yeah. they, Walt Disney himself falls in the grave and begs him to come down to Disney World. <laughs> like when you open a Disney World in Ann Arbor, we'd love to be part of it. But uh, yeah, they're they very tightly controlled within the within the city limits of uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Five square miles surrounded by reality. Right? Yeah, that's the, that's yeah, the, uh, Ann Arbor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So after all these years of creating these super successful locations in multiple states now, um, what would you say, are, are you still challenged by anything? What challenges you in this most challenging of all businesses? Yeah, I, I, I think it's nothing's changed. <laughs> uh, retaining staff, it's still, it's difficult. Um, it's, uh, you know, people move on easier these days than they did 20, 30 years ago. There's just so much opportunity out there. And in the food business, it's, you know, there's so much more of it. So uh, it's, uh, we, we do better than most as far as retaining people, but uh, we still struggle with that quite a bit. And it, it uh, adds up to a big number at the end of the year the, uh, with the training and right. and all of that. So it, to me, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is, is uh, longevity. I think you are doing really well with that. And one of the reasons I think that jumps out is, at me is the stores are fun. You know, they're fun for the customer. They're fun for the staff. It's a great environment. You walk in and it's, uh, it takes you away from the everyday. It's, it's very interesting in that way. But, you know, I was at an industry summit a couple of months back. It was really disconcerting because lots of operators were there and they were all admitting to hiring anyone with a pulse, which is just a short-term solution to a huger problem. Mm-hmm. But I did hear that the average tenure of a new restaurant employee is about three to four months. And that every time you hire one of these people, you get them up to speed in their gig, you lose them and replace them. It costs the restaurant somewhere between three and $4,000 every time that happens and lost time and productivity and all this stuff. And those are staggering numbers. I mean, you gotta, you gotta come up with something really special to engage the team from the get go, empower them, make them feel like they're part of your organization and give them opportunity and recognize and reward them. And it sounds like you're doing just that. We're trying. So by, by, by virtue of putting a number on what that training costs, yeah. um, that, that puts it in perspective for us and for you know, other restaurant operators. Uh, when you see the magnitude of that problem, then you can say, well, for instance, let's give them the, the, the ability to solve a problem themselves. $100 to solve that problem gives them that, that, that sense of inclusion and, and, and belonging and, and the team really is a team. And hopefully that, among a, a million other things, will help retain that uh, that staff and cohesion but back to your question about you know what what kind of keeps us up at night i'm hoping that if when you go to harvard square you're like uh that is i i could be standing in in uh on congress street it's exactly the same slice that's a challenge um we got a lot of we got 120 miles between the stores um we we can't be everywhere at one time um the, the environment in harvard square it's its own it's its own micro economy um, as well as environment uh, a lot of challenges there that that um, thwart the idea of maintaining that consistency and and even more challenging is kind of the energy that Mike and I started with downstairs you know conveying that energy that sense of excitement when you walk in really happy to hear that you find the units fun and exciting and engaging that's awesome that's our that's our job is to make sure that we maintain that and keep that that pulse and that momentum going. Is there anybody in place that you would call the keeper of the brand that literally travels from store to store as a secret? Well, they're a secret shopper the first time they walk in and then after that, but you get where I'm going with this. Someone who's responsible for maintaining that consistency and making sure that everything is the same. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have district managers that go around in both States from shop to shop all day long. And, um, uh, and watch all that and, and, and 
you know, stay dialed in with the staff and the, and the teams there and uh, to listen to everybody and, but also, you know, not afraid to call them out if the, there's too much pepperoni on a pie or if it's too close to the edge or not close enough. And yeah, for sure. Just that oversight and, 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 you know, letting everybody know that it, it matters just as much today as it did 10 years ago. It's, it's all still important. So we have a, a, a group of people that they go around and, and, check the pulse on everybody in, in each shop. All of us really, like our, uh, the executive team and, and anybody that's employed by auto, we would expect and hope somebody says, hey, just, just so you know, I went in and uh, something just, you know, something was off, I think you ought to know. And, and our customers are actually pretty loyal at doing that as well. Mm -hmm. I think they still believe that there's a heart and soul to this company. I'm gonna tell these guys, I've been a loyal fan and the past 12 times I've been in has been phenomenal. The thirteenth time, not quite so much, and here's why. And we respond to that, and um, we respond quickly to that, and hopefully successfully to it. You know, when you stop, when you stop listening to that, you're in trouble. Yeah. Do you personally respond to online reviews and all that sort of thing, or do you have someone that handles that for you? We uh, Eric does, and Mike and I do. When it gets too hot, we'll jump in as well. Yeah. Which has happened. Yeah. <laughs> we generally inflame the problem <laughs> rather, than, rather than help it. Light the fire. Right. Where's that kerosene? Yeah. That's awesome. Do you get back behind the oven still and, and make pizza? I, I, I don't myself much anymore. We, we, uh, you know, we discuss the specials and we've got a, a team of folks that handle the food. We can do it, Roger. We can do it. <laughs> I'm sure you can. Yeah. For me, yeah. it was like therapy. You know? yeah. It's like I used to love to get behind that oven and cook the pies, but I got to tell you, I mean, yeah. you mentioned the consistency of the cornmeal and the right burn on the, on the crust and all that kind of stuff. I mean, our oven was, I think we could fit 17 pies in that oven at once. And there's hot spots in those ovens and all that kind of stuff. And I'd get back there and you'd be spinning them and you'd be working but it's right in the middle of the floor and everyone's yeah. wanting to talk to you and ask you questions and all that kind of stuff. So it was really hard to multitask. Yeah. yeah. It's still pretty cool to do it. Well, we got an apron for you whenever you want to come in. <laughs> Let's see what you, what you really got. Take you up on that. You know, that, that would be fun. That's great. So what do you find most satisfying about your business? Uh, for me, uh, just what you said when you, you know, you walk in the door of an auto and it takes you away from everything else and it's still exciting and it feels like your first visit. Hearing things like that is, is all I can hope for. Yeah. Seeing your customers smile, your staff shine and everyone's yeah. like humming on all cylinders and you're just like, wow, this is really amazing. How it started from humble beginnings and now where it's going. So where is it going? You're going to keep opening stores? Regionally, you can expand across the country. You're going to franchise any of the stuff hitting you right now. Have you seen the unit in Dubai yet? Uh, it's <laughs> kind of cool. Uh, no, uh, you know, we don't have the master plan, Roger. And if we did, we would, you know, we, we just don't have it. Um, at this at this level, 13 shops is a lot. We have a dope plant in Lynn, Mass as well. That's a whole, it's got its own, you know, life to it. Um, it's a lot to keep track of. We've got a, it's a terrific, we're kind of in a sweet spot at the moment. Yeah. Open one more and it could, it could, you know, topple the whole apple cart. Um, there you go. We, we haven't made any real estate, like every unit we've opened has been successful. Thank God. Um, even with 13 units, if you open up one dog, it can take you down. So we, we, you know, we're a little more cautious, I think now than we were. Um, 
but do we need to have 20 or 25 units? It's, it's nothing we feel like we need. It's, it's, a, it's a great gig at the moment. Um, we see locations where we're hit every, every day with, with opportunities. Um, we can be more selective about it, but I don't, we don't feel like we just have to open anything else right now. This is how we feel. Um, our, our most recent unit was Saco. Yeah, we weren't looking for we were not looking for that, but uh, the owners of the ground round were were done there, and the the deal came together. It was you know just had all the right ingredients to it, and it's worked out great. Um, so I say that, but the the phone could ring after we hang up. I mean, something could come along. It's happened. Opportunity, yeah, opportunities yeah. where you find it. Yeah. Well, that's that's a really yeah that's a smart strategy, right? Slow growth, don't go crazy, and really think things through. And who knows, the sky's the limit for auto pizza. Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel it's, 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 it's a blast. I, I wake up every day energized and excited and um, you go into a shop and you see a slice that is just like perfect that, you know, I got to take a picture of because that is, that is what it was and, and it still is. That's exciting. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, also be able to employ, you know, 450 people is pretty amazing. Um, you know, I mean, it, a lot of the folks that we touch and deal with every day, um, it's a little more than just a paycheck. I think, I think they really uh, dig what they're doing and, and feel supported and, and excited. And, and that's a privilege. I mean, that's just, that's an amazing thing to be part of. For sure. You've, you've hit our audience with so many, you know, nuggets of wisdom on how to operate, uh, you know, a really successful brand and where you started and where you've been and where you're going and all that sort of thing. But do you have any specific advice for the independent operator today, just trying to compete in by far one of the most challenging businesses and most competitive businesses anywhere? Like what advice would you give someone who has, you know, maybe they're spinning their wheels, they've been in it for a while and they're just trying to figure out, you know, how do I get past this? Cause clearly you had hurdles to, to overcome. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, our success comes from our passion in the very beginning and our, our work ethic. And together as a team, uh, we realized that we were really more than just two guys together. It was, um, it was an amazing energy. And so we're very fortunate to have, have met and become partners and, and instill that in our teams. If you're, um, if you're just a, a person alone, uh, putting something together, uh, I'd say, Focus on that passion and, you know, why is it that you want to do it? Because it's, it's a tough gig. You know, you got to be ready to put in 80 hours a week and be truthful to yourself. Why would you do it? Do you really care about it that much? And if you do, don't ever lose sight of that. And yeah, it's definitely a business of passion. And if you don't have that, what's the point? Why are you in this business? Right. You got to love working with people. You got to love your customers. You got to share that love and just spread the message of what you're trying to do. And you guys totally hit it out of the park with that one, right? I love the stories in the beginning, but it's amazing where it's come. Is there anything we've missed that you'd like to talk about? Uh, Next so. month special. Um, <laughs> you know what that is? Well, we, we're uh, we're turning ten years old in uh, in June. June 18th is our ten year anniversary. Yeah. Is there going to be a big party? Yeah, <laughs> there is. Yeah, we've got some, got some stuff planned in both states, uh, some parties for staff and some other events and specials that are coming out. We're going to do about a, for the whole month of June, we'll be doing uh, all kinds of stuff and um, our marketing team will get that out there. 
want to ask us about our uh, June special? <laughs> Please. Uh, we're doing uh, we're doing a lobster pizza. Oh no, kidding! And uh, yeah. keeping the price of what it is for for a typical slice today. So. Keeping the price level, but uh, it's gonna be lobster yeah. pie with mashed potato and maybe maybe one or two other ingredients. We're still working it out, but it should be fun. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, great. Good if you stuff. find yeah. I was just going to say to the audience, if you find yourself in diverse locations of New England, Boston, Newburyport, Harvard Square, Portland, Yarmouth, Maine, you got to check out Auto Pizza because it really is something special. And I've so enjoyed talking to you guys. I, I appreciate you being on the show. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Roger. It was, a, Thanks, it was fun. Right? It's it's good, and, uh, it's business. That's what it's about. It's about fun. Yeah. yeah. We got an apron for you. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> I may do that, you know. It's been a while since I've cooked a pizza, but I'm sure yeah. I can handle it. It'll come right back. Well, that was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, folks, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Mike and Anthony. Appreciate your being Thanks, here. Thanks, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate it. Bye. What did you think of this episode? Regular guys that came up with a great concept, opened a first location, which led to two, which led to 13 really strong locations. You know, to build a powerful brand like Otto, what inspires me the most is their focus on systems and surrounding themselves with great, talented people. To do this, I believe you need to understand and put in practice the three fundamentals of any successful restaurant. You need to train, develop, recognize, and reward your people. You need to focus on cost controls and understanding the critical numbers behind your business. And you need marketing firepower. And I'm not talking about spending lots of money on traditional advertising. I'm talking about being creative, relentless, and resourceful with a few powerful ideas. That's how to build a powerful brand. You know, if you're looking to systemize and transform your business to take it to the next level, why don't you email me, roger, R-O-G-E-R, at restaurantrockstars.com. I'm taking on a few limited personal coaching clients where I'll work with you one-on-one -on -one remotely via video chat, and I'll share the 25 years of success and everything I've learned in this business about running super successful and profitable restaurants. I can help you transform your business and truly take it to the next level. So drop me a line, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.